It was always the same. The angel was porcelain, had a little thin wire that hung above the manger scene. Everything was pristine. Everything was serene. Everything smelled great because we had the Christmas tree and the scented candles. It looked good. In other words, it was totally inaccurate as far as the depiction of when Jesus was born. We get that idea from the manger scene. That's what it looked like. That's what it was like. Silent night. If I were to take you back, first of all, think of just the trip that Joseph and Mary had to take. It was about a 90-mile trip. No taxi cab, no buses going at that time. They had to get on a donkey or a horse and make it 90 miles from northern Israel in the highlands of Galilee. That's where they lived, Nazareth. And they had to go to take a census. It was the law. It was required by the Roman government. And so the route would have taken them a little bit eastward, down toward the Jordan River, and then they would have taken through the Jordan Valley the road that followed the river. And then they would have to ascend very rapidly from the area of Jericho up toward Jerusalem and then Bethlehem. Now, it was typical to cover about 20 miles a day, but probably it took them over a week, maybe 10 miles a day at best, because of the rocky terrain, the differences in terrain, as well as the fact that Joseph had a pregnant woman with her. It was slow going. They would have to take their own provisions and sleep out. Sometimes there were inns, but probably on their budget, they just slept out in the open. They couldn't stop and have lunch at a restaurant. There were none, so they had wineskins on their animal. Filled with water, they took bread. That was probably what they lived on. For breakfast, it was just bread and water. For lunch, bread with olive oil and some herbs and water. For dinner, much the same. It was a hard, long trip. They were weary. And coming to Bethlehem was anything but silent and quiet and holy night. It was buzzing with people, very, very crowded, so much so nobody could find room for them. One novelist paints a beautiful picture of what happened then, what it was like, not a pristine manger scene with an angel hanging by a wire and pine-scented candles in the background, but more like this. Were someone to chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning, what a peculiar scene they would behold. The stable stinks, like all stables do. The stench of urine, dung, and sheep reeks pungently in the air. The ground is hard, the hay is scarce. Cobwebs cling to the ceiling, and a mouse scurries across the dirt floor. A more lowly place of birth could not exist. Near the young mother sits the weary father. If anyone is dozing, he is. He can't remember the last time he sat down. And now that the excitement has subsided a bit, now that Mary and the baby are comfortable, he leans against the wall of the stable and feels his eyes grow heavy. He hasn't figured it all out. The mystery of the event still puzzles him. But he hasn't the energy to wrestle with questions. What's important is that the baby is fine and Mary is safe. Wide awake is Mary. My, how young she looks. Her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. The pain has been eclipsed by wonder. She looks into the face of the baby 
her son, her Lord, his majesty. At that point in history, the human being who best understands who God is and what he is doing is a teenage girl in a smelly stable. Question, why a manger? A manger, by the way, was a hewn stone dug out so that animals could feed in that. It was a feeding trough. Why that? Why was he not born in Rome General Hospital? Why not in a wealthy, aristocratic, royal Mideast home attended by all of the princes and the kings of the entire region in the Roman Empire? Why wasn't he born in modern times so that at least he could be on CNN broadcast all over the globe? Why then? Why a manger? The obvious answer, first of all, is humility. Humility. Paul hinted at this when he wrote in one of his letters that Jesus Christ became nothing or of no reputation. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Now, what could be more humble than a frail baby born to a virgin and a stepfather who was a peasant carpenter in a cave somewhere outside of Bethlehem? That is humility. A very simple package, a very simple surrounding, humility. It's interesting how gifts are wrapped every Christmas. I've noticed that some gifts are wrapped beautifully, very, very fancy. In fact, it seems that sometimes as much is spent on the wrapping and the bow as the present itself. In fact, there are even stores that do nothing during this time of the year but wrap packages and put custom designer bows, etc. Now, I know this is sort of an aside, but just a hint to you women. This is a complete waste of time for the male species. If you've ever watched a guy open a gift, it's just sort of like, cool, it's over with. They don't even appreciate it. Now, Jesus Christ, the gift that God gives, comes to the earth in a very simple wrapping. No satin sheets, but the scripture calls them swaddling cloths, the cloths of the peasants. He's not in a bed of gold, but as we said, a feeding trough. He's not waited on by doctors, but... Shepherds and barnyard animals are around that feeding trough when he was born. The scripture said that he would be, here it is, despised and rejected among men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's fitting that the one who was buried in a borrowed tomb would be born in such a place as this. Now, this is sort of where the confusion comes in. Um, and that is, okay, God came to the earth as a baby did he become, in the incarnation, God? Was there ever a time in his ministry where he became deity? Was he just a man and then sort of morphed into God? When he emptied himself and left heaven, did he divest himself and empty himself of his deity? The answer is no. He was fully man, yes, but he was fully God at the same time. He was deity, but it was veiled we just sang a song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. One of the verses carves out for us that thinking when it says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity. Pleased on earth with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He was God in heaven, 
He was God in the womb. He was God on earth. And he was God on the cross. It sounds like an impossible mixture. But that's what the prophet meant. And he put it all together and he said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A child and a son. But the names are given. He will be called, as the scripture says, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, and Everlasting Father. Amazing, inconceivable, larger than the universe, but an embryo. God becoming then a fetus and being born. Humility. There's another reason. Incompatibility. When Jesus was born in that manger, it showed, in essence, the world's attitude toward him then and now. They had no room for him. No room in the inn. As today, there's no room in the real world for the real Jesus Christ. The political world had no room for him. Herod was not excited about his birth. He said he was, but he really wanted to kill him as the story goes on. Rome didn't care too much for him, and today the political world has no room for the real Jesus. It seems that every time there is an election, we get calls, as I'm sure many churches do, from politicians who suddenly want to show up in church and court the favor of the church so that they can get elected, but the real Jesus has no place for them because politics is so often about what the polls say. Let's just kind of go with the wind and the whims of the moment. Compromise. The real Jesus is about absolutes. The real Jesus is about the narrow road. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then there's the religious world. And the religious world then and now has no room for the real Jesus. We read about the scribes who were working for Herod. They knew exactly where the Messiah was to be born. They could cite the scripture off the top of their heads. But later on, when Jesus Christ would come 30 years later and reveal himself as their Messiah, they orchestrated the religious people, his crucifixion. No difference now. Really, no difference now. As long as Jesus is just the great moral teacher, it's okay. As long as Jesus is just an example for us to follow, no problem. As long as Jesus is the guy who has a way to God, but there are also many roads to God, no problem. As long as Jesus is the Jesus that the Jesus seminar says he is, a myth, or public television often says he is, a myth, no problem. But the minute the real Jesus stands up, and says what he says recorded in the New Testament, I am the way, the truth, the life. People have a big problem. Yes, even religious people. I find it ironic that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if you'll open the door, I'll come in and have fellowship with you. He said that to the church, not to the world. He's still knocking at the door of so many hearts of people who are religious, good people, well-meaning people, moral, upstanding people, but they've never invited him in as who he really is. And so it showed humility. It showed incompatibility. And third, and finally, and we'll close with this, Jesus born in a manger showed accessibility. It was out in the open. You didn't have to have a special pass or phone ahead for an appointment. 
the shepherds didn't have to flash their ID cards or have their resumes screened by the Secret Service. He was God in flesh, born in a manger. Nothing intimidating about going to a manger. You tremble if you stood before kings in the earthly setting of the royal robes and all the passes and hurdles one must go through, but not a manger. And that was true throughout his whole life. His whole earthly ministry was like that. Open to people who would come to him. Remember the story when the disciples tried to stop those moms who were bringing their kids to Jesus? And Jesus got angry at them and said, Let the children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Then there was the time when a woman who had a disease for 12 years and the doctors couldn't fix her, she spent all her money on them and she was not better. And though Jesus was on his way somewhere, he stopped and took time out of his busy schedule for her. Then there was the time when the Roman centurion, not even a Jew, not even of the house of Israel, stopped Jesus and wondered if he would just say a word and his servant would instantly be healed. And it happened. Jesus took time. And the manger was free and open and public to all, which is the nature of God. And I think that that manger looked forward to the cross where Jesus once would grow up and die for the sins of the world. And just as the manger was open and accessible to all, the cross is open and accessible to all who will believe that the Son of God, God in human flesh, paid their sins and bought their redemption upon that Christ. It's accessible and open to all. Listen to this scripture in Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and have our bodies washed with pure water. If you have a guilty conscience, if you have sin in your life, and you know what? I shouldn't say if. Since we all fall and sin, we can come any time to Him and ask for His forgiveness. And if you haven't received the gift of eternal life in your heart, you could do that tonight. Humility, incompatibility, accessibility. That's why Jesus was born in a manger. And that little child would bring peace to the hearts of those who would receive him. The Prince of Peace. I know the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill to men. That doesn't mean that from that moment on there'll be no wars, because that never happened, did it? But there can be peace within the heart of the person who comes to know Jesus Christ. Let me give you some Christmas trivia in closing. The word bedlam, which means confusion, noisy confusion, is actually a word that comes from the word Bethlehem. And this is how it happened. It's a corruption of the word. In the 1500s in London, England, there was a hospital for the mentally insane known as St. Mary's of Bethlehem. And for a small entrance fee, you could come in and heckle the inmates. It sounds cruel. It was cruel. But it became one of the top tourist attractions in London. 
people would come to town and say, Take me to St. Mary's of Bethlehem. Eventually, the name was shortened to simply Bethlehem. Take me to Bethlehem, they would say. They'd pay their fee and they would heckle the mentally insane in the asylum. And eventually, the word became corrupted and shortened. And I suppose if you were in England, in one part of London, you'd simply say it very quickly, Take me to Bedlam. And the word Bedlam became the word that means confusion, noisy confusion because of that insane asylum. The Bedlam. Is your life a Bethlehem or is it a Bedlam? Is your life inside your heart, the inner you, the real you, not the professional you, not the dad or mom you or kid you or, or whatever you are on the exterior, but the real inside of you? Is there peace? Is the Son of God there? Is Christ there? Or is there confusion? Is it Bedlam? It can be changed from Bedlam to Bethlehem. But you must invite not just the Christ child, but Jesus Christ who grew up from childhood to become a man to lay claim on people's lives and to die on the cross for you. You can know that peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. What can we say except thank you, praise you, we love you, we're honored that you would make a plan that would include us. The heart of man, so empty, so aching, so confused, so filled with bedlam when we're all alone, when our thoughts are upon our bed, when we wonder about our future. And so many promises throughout your word that you could change confusion into peace because the Prince of Peace could live within us. Lord, we've sung so many of these Christmas songs which has the gospel woven throughout them. The truth is you came to die for our sins. And tonight as you're praying, if you've come tonight, whether you're in this auditorium or you're in the overflow or you're watching by television, you can have the peace of Jesus Christ if you ask Him sincerely from the bottom of your heart to come in and be your Lord and your Savior, to save you from sin and to master your life. You can ask Him, and He'll do it. As thousands, millions around the world have done it since He came. In fact, right now, you might just want to say to Him, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry. And I'm thankful that you sent your son to die on the cross for me and to rise again from the dead and to live now to give me power. I put my trust in him. In fact, Lord, I turn from my sin and I turn to you completely and I ask you to govern my life and fill me with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.